Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar, the man who shall not be named, except I shall name him, Joel Illier. Joel, how are you? I'm good and I like how you managed to name me and not name me at the same time. I know, yeah, I'm a man of many complexities. How are you, Joe? I'm good. I'm very good. For, for our listeners, you won't know, but myself and Joel, we watched the big fight together this weekend. We maybe should have live tweeted that as a as a duo, shouldn't we? I think I might have tweeted actually from our account. See, Did I, you? I, I just I don't run these things past you. <laughs> you just do it these <laughs> yeah. days. No, I know you were tweeting. I was aware of that because you didn't have your head out your phone all night. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew that something was going on over there. Yeah. Uh, well, not much was going on, but something was going on. Yeah. Yeah. We should um, probably jump into it because it was a massive, massive fight and a really big occasion. And obviously there are a lot of talking points. I'm going to ask you firstly, Joel, before we touch on probably the thing I think our listeners might want to know our thoughts on, which is AJ's <laughs> post-fight speech. Let's talk about the fight first and your view on Usyk's performance and Joshua's performance. So even after... You know, the dust has all settled. Yeah. We are recording this almost a week later. Yeah. And I still think the story of the fight was the fight. I think it was AJ's performance followed by Usyk's performance. Yeah. You know, I think AJ started the fight strong and I thought he did brilliantly. I think he performed way above expectations, certainly yeah. my expectations and your expectations. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he did not let... Usyk get away with anything in the first half of the fight and by that I mean he answered everything that Usyk was saying yeah proverbially and I, I just thought it was a brilliant performance and I thought that he closed the gap massively from start to finish really yeah. then Usyk did his thing you know came out for that 10th round and he didn't look back exactly uh, no it was a it wasn't a tale of two halves it was a tale of nine rounds followed by three rounds exactly and that's what we had there yeah and it was a brilliant brilliant heavyweight fight it was a great performance by both fighters and they can both be proud of themselves and you know what joe fuck what happened after the fight <laughs> we do have to talk about that but that's uh, not going to be i think you're right in a sense I, I think a lot has been said about it there's not much we can say and a lot of it hasn't been very pleasant about aj mm. my thoughts on the fight were that for me, the 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 key to the fight was it was rounds nine and ten. Yeah. And round nine, AJ for me looked like he was on top, and and that was probably the first time in both those fights I thought, oh my god, he, he's probably going to win this fight now. Mm. And the punch stats from that round nine as well tell the story. I think AJ landed twenty seven punches compared to. Uh, well, I you know didn't. You didn't, you didn't on, need punch stats for that. You needed no, eyes, and no, we spoke about it, didn't we? In yeah. the lead up to that round, we said, right, this is championship rounds now. Yeah. This is when the fight's going to be settled. Yeah. But the punch stats were important because that's probably the only round in those two fights where AJ clearly dominated Usyk. I thought, well, yeah, in terms of a domination, but I thought there were rounds before that that AJ clearly won. Possibly, but yeah. 
Possibly, but I mean that was that was very much around where I thought, oh my god, this you know mm. he's really turned the screw here. Usyk looks in trouble. Well, yes, and he had turned the screw, but again, we'd also been talking about the whole fight how he was only going to be able to do that for one round, and we were waiting for it. Yeah, because you could see that he was ready. Yeah, to explode at some point, and that was the only way he was going to win the fight is if he gambled in yeah. a way that he didn't do yeah. in the first fight, and he did it in that ninth. But I don't think either of us had expectations in the tenth on AJ but also we didn't know that Usyk was going to come out and did what he did well no but so what I actually remember after that ninth round I was sort of stunned because I was like oh my god Usyk's going to lose I really thought this was there was almost no chance AJ could win this fight and then you said to me after that round you said AJ's blown his load He, he does this He's going to gas. He's he's emptied the tank. You watch Usyk come on, and I just sort of looked at you a little bit like, but he's just been pummeled for that entire for the entire of that ninth round. You know, he must be exhausted as well. And then in the tenth round, he just absolutely battered AJ. Talk about what champions are made what of, isn't it? A turnaround. I mean, it was incredible. That's the sort of performance that puts you down as a legend, as an all-time great, to do that. Oh, here's a question for you. Do you think that Usyk does that without the war going on in Ukraine? I think, do you think I that think took something does. else? You know, I think he, he's, he, there's something about him. He's just... Yeah, but you know that there's, there's something that happens when you're fighting for something bigger than yourself. Yeah. We see it in sport. And we saw it with Muhammad Ali with the civil rights movement. We saw it with Barry McGuigan's when it came to the troubles yeah. in Ireland. We have seen it repeatedly with, um, you know, footballers and sports stars of all stripes. Yeah. And I think that's what we saw on Saturday night, where yeah. a cause can lift a person to yeah. do things that they otherwise possibly wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. Now, AJ wouldn't have been able to continue doing what he was doing. We've discussed that. Yeah. That's what what we thought. But for Usyk to come out and pull out those three rounds, yeah. it's something truly legendary. That was moving a performance to a level that very few sportsmen, let alone fighters mm. and boxers, are ever going to achieve. And he needed those three rounds for me. Well, for according me, to the scorecards, he needed yeah, them. And, but at the end of that ninth round, I had it, I, in my head I thought, bloody hell, this, this fight is now so super close. Mm. I honestly don't know how, who's, who it's going to go to because... You know, I don't think anyone up until that ninth round had really built up a lead on points. Yeah, it was so, competitive. You know, but who Usyk basically just said, right, I've had enough now. I'm yeah. the man. I'm taking I'm control. taking the championship rounds. I'm going to absolutely put the gas tank on, give but, you hell for leather, and you ain't going to be able to respond. But what you just said there is that until those rounds, he hadn't done that. Well, it was competitive until then. And yeah. Who thought that it would be? Yeah, Seriously, exactly. outside of the AJ camp, and let's face it, a lot of them wouldn't have believed what they were saying. I think AJ did, yeah. but a bunch of the others wouldn't have believed that AJ would have been able to put in a performance like that yeah. and make the fight as competitive as that. Yeah. That was a really top-level heavyweight fight yeah. where both fighters were performing at a technical mm, very level, level that very few people are going to reach. Exactly. That's what AJ just did there. So in future, when people want to say that AJ is just a big bodybuilder yeah. and all of this, no, go and watch that fight and come yeah. and tell me that. The, the other thing as well is that, you know, some of our listeners might not believe it, but I wanted Usyk to win. I'm just a big Usyk fan. Mm. 
I've never, I'm going to be honest, I've never really warmed to, to AJ as such, but in that fight, and funnily enough, in his post-fight speech, where I just felt really sorry for him and it really resonated with me just how much stress he'd been under, yeah. probably over many years. But that was the fight where I thought, okay, you're, and, and you might just laugh at me when I say, I, I, I thought, okay, I'm convinced you're a world-class fighter now because you did hold your own against a master boxer and you were close in that ninth round to turning the direction of that fight in your favour mm. no one's really I just can't see any I mean who can beat Usyk let's be honest it just seems to have every tool in the box that you need to just keep winning fights he's a great technical boxer he's hard as hell he's got a great chin he's got great heart he's got brilliant stamina he's just the perfect fighter he's just a brilliant all round fighter so for AJ to put on that type of performance he 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 really raised himself in my eyes. Yeah. And as I said, the post-fight speech, he weirdly, I've, I feel that I've got more respect for him now because I could see the, to- the toll that being AJ had, had taken mm. on him and it just sort of came out. It was cringe. At the time, it felt like I was watching it. It seemed very cringeworthy and was a bit mortifying. But I actually think... That was that was him being extremely vulnerable. Yeah, and you have to feel for someone like that. It was what happened there is he had a lot to say and was too emotional. Yes. and tired to say it. Yeah, and this was it was a shame that mm. it came after you know twelve hours of that. But it's the problem with having a a mic in front of you. Mm. You know when you've just taken a huge amount of punches from a hard hitting accurate heavyweight. Exactly, yeah. Now, we can't blame the TV for this because AJ sought out that mic himself. Yeah. And really, he's responsible for himself and we can't really go blaming the team either. It was just an unfortunate event. He did something silly. Yeah. But I think understandable. Mm. And I think what he was trying to say there was, I put in a huge amount to this game. Yeah. That I'm not getting credit for doing so. Yeah. And for this guy to come beat me when yeah. I was performing at that level mm. was very impressive. Exactly. Essentially, that was what he was saying. Yeah. He got confused. He started talking about issues that, you know, he clearly isn't, you know, well-versed in. Yes. Yeah. And it, it just was what it was. But it's difficult being somebody, again, of his stature in the sport and in society and to be involved in an event you know, where we're talking about, where, sorry, being involved in an event against somebody like Alexander Rusik who's just been to war yeah. in the Ukraine. This yeah. is the big story of the year, is the war in Ukraine. And he had to say something. He felt that he had to say something. And let's face it, he actually did. Yeah. Now, this this is an interesting point that we've discussed about AJ before, is that... Um, you know, I would prefer an AJ who just maybe doesn't feel the need to speak about this issue or that issue because, but Joe, who doesn't, who does, who, who has, who has a public profile that doesn't feel the need to say something on that issue. So I agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I I think that people shouldn't be expected to have to broach this issue when they don't even necessarily, I'm not saying AJ doesn't have a view on it, yeah, but he certainly doesn't have a view on it that he thinks that he can actually come out publicly and espouse. You know, all, all he 
could really do in that situation is kind of say, it's going on. I understand it's going on because he's got his sponsors. He doesn't want to offend Russians. He's got Russian fans. He doesn't want to offend Ukrainians. He doesn't want to offend left-wingers. He doesn't want to offend right-wingers. That's the AJ game. Mm. And that's celebrity today, isn't it? Yeah, and, but but that, you know, that's the thing that I think could is potentially, hold, you know, holding him back. Because I always feel with AJ, he's never tr- been truly comfortable with the position he's been put in. Is he at the top of the heavyweight queue? I mean, he is in a way because he's AJ, but is he going to fight for a world title in his next fight? No, so, you reckon? Well, if he wants to. But if that's where his team wants to go, he'd be still... better off just taking. Okay, name me no, name me one fighter in the top ten mm. that AJ could be up against where it wouldn't be an absolute mega event. No, no, no. I'm not saying they wouldn't be mega events. I'm actually saying for his mental health, maybe he d- shouldn't be involved in mega events for the next couple of fights. Well, well, I agree you know, with whether, that. Whether it could be a case of look, AJ is going back to you know frame it as going back to the drawing board. He mm. doesn't need to go back to the drawing board, but just have a little bit less pressure on him. I just think Because that. I just don't think he needs that. And I think maybe he might find his love for the game a bit more. It was telling when Eddie Hearns said that I just want him to be happy. And I think maybe Eddie Hearns really felt this, you know, from Anthony Joshua. Let's face it, Is this it, making Joe, him a happy man? Joe, let's face it, when the dust settles mm. and they go to negotiate in that time, in th- that next fight in three, four months' time... Yeah. AJ's fighting Dillian White in front of a massive audience for massive amounts of money yeah. in a massive UK fight with huge amounts of pressure, both local and international on him. Yeah. That's the reality of this game, and that's the reality of making himself and others money in yeah. the way that AJ does. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> I, I would love for him to do what you're saying, yeah. to go take a couple of Walmart fights, leave the country... Yeah, go, have, go have and train. Have some fights, time. Have know. some time and recuperate. You yeah. know, go spend some. I don't know. Go do some mindfulness. Get some yoga done. Meditate. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Go read a book, mate. You well, know not what even I mean? that. Whatever. Just, just uh, take. Just he doesn't need to be in this sort of bubble of. Mega, it's like a mega of, show of with pressure. AJ. Yeah, yeah it, it always is. Too, it's too, and and it's not it's only a mega pressure. show, but every day it's not only mega show. He's then going and between this outside pressure that he has, his gaps is training, pushing mm. his body to the limit and taking punches to the head in sparring. Mm. You know, it's, it's an incredible life he's been li- living for so long now. Yeah. And for having hard, tough fights. The geezer's been taking punches since that Dillian Wyatt fight. Yeah. You know, when was that? Back in 2015 now? Well, Gosh, it was 2015. It was about five, six years seven ago? Seven years ago. It was 2015, I'm sure. Okay, yeah. You know, people might disagree with me, but I, I was never convinced and never really sold on the AJ show experience, him mm. as a fighter. But this was the fight that's really convinced me. And now I, I just look, I again, I look, go back to the speech and I just think, this guy needs, he needs to be happy he needs to be, he needs, his mental well-being is the most important thing, okay? Ideally, although you seem to be arguing it's, probably, it's impossible, it's not going to happen as long as he continues fighting, but, I, you know, I think he does need to be involved in a couple of fights where there's much less pressure, the show is just much less intense. How do you Maybe, do it? I don't know, but they, I just think that for him, for him that might be the best thing because... We you discussed it now. Where does he go from here? Okay, D- Dillian White's an- another m- mega fight, but you know that's going to draw huge interest. It's going to draw h- huge public interest in the UK. 
he's going to have a camera in his face every five minutes, microphone, you know, shoved down his throat. Um, does he? Does he need that? I no. mean, are there any other fights, surely, that he could potentially have where? the demand for it is not there or or maybe just get away go to another country to do something totally different but but keep busy keep active mm. but not feel the pressure to have to be this brand aj that's really what i feel i just i don't and i don't and i always get the impression when i hear him speak and you like the speech is the perfect example him feeling the need to say this shit you don't you're a fucking normal guy who boxes you don't need to comment intelligently on these issues no one, I'm not interested. I'm mm. sure the average Joe isn't interested as well. You are genuine, the average Joe. Genu- I am the average Joe. But genuinely, were you were you tuning into this fight to hear what AJ had to say about the war in Ukraine? No, I bloody of wasn't. fucking <laughs> No one cares. I was, I was tuning into this fight to see some heads get bashed. Yeah. And that's what we saw. Exactly. You know, and, and I was happy fight. with that. It was exactly. brilliant. You know, we were happy um, with it and... You know, it is what it is. These these things happen. And but it's just sad. The other thing as well is that you were right. You know, they shouldn't be shoving mics in fight in front of fighters after these fights. I think Tris Dixon's brought it up in his book Damage before. It's just mm. you know, boxers are likely concussed or what? You know, what do you expect them to say? Something incredibly intelligent and coherent. I think they've it's got not going to happen. I think they've got a rule now in oh, UFC. Oh, I, I, but I do take your point that AJ did grab the mic. Yeah, you know? yeah. This, I mean, is, this is the thing. This is that didn't actually happen. Maybe um, someone I think in there's a rule now. Just there's the a rule now. Mic off yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but there's a rule now in UFC. I think I'm. I'm sure I've heard Joe Rogan speak, speak yeah, about this. Is, yeah. That you don't. He he will not interview a fighter after they've been knocked out. At okay. least, yeah. Right. So at least they've got that sort of yeah, yeah. limit. You know, go well. This is as far as it goes. If that's happened, because I remember seeing one there. You see, which was awful after Daniel Cormier got knocked out by what was his name? John Jones. John Jones. And he was literally crying and it was clearly out of just distress. He didn't know what was going on and he was devastated that he'd just been knocked out. He he couldn't quite fathom that it had happened. And it was awful. Like the guy's got, you know, family, children, all of this. And and he's just at his most distraught and it's just beamed for our pleasure. Is that pleasurable? Are we glad we saw that? Are you glad that you saw AJ do that at the weekend and cry in a press conference and see him like that? I'm no, not. No, I didn't so like it. No, I didn't find nice that, that. I didn't find that cool. pleasurable. I didn't need to see it. Yeah. What I needed to see was what happened in those 36 minutes in yeah. the ring. Yeah. That I needed to see. That was important for me as a boxing fan. The other stuff wasn't. That's for AJ, his team, his family and his friends to deal with. That's mm. what it should be. It's... It's too much at the moment with what we're getting, well, with what we expect from our sports stars to bear yeah. in public. Yeah. You know, we don't always need to see this. Yeah. Sometimes they do need people stepping in and protecting them. They pay management yeah. for stuff like that. They've all got PR and management and stuff. And, you know, they're going to do their jobs. AJ is a rich man, right? So I guess he's got sponsors, contracts, obligations he has to fulfill with camera time, mic time, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I, I, don't re- I don't know how these things really work. But it'd be nice if he could just say, look, I don't want to talk to any press today. I don't want a camera in my fucking face piss off I'm a fighter leave me alone again we've and seen this in the UFC with Ronda Rousey yeah and if he's, he's done that consistently enough, before and after fights yeah. 
if he's, you know, well off enough to, and I'm sure he is, to maybe sidestep whatever money he might lose. Or, I, just, I don't know. I just think, you know, I saw a man under huge pressure just essentially have, I guess you could use the word breakdown. I oh, think it was, I think it was breakdown. a breakdown. Yeah. And that breakdown was a direct result of someone being thrust into this, this, this limelight, this position where I don't think he's really that comfortable with it. Some people are comfortable with it. You look at someone like Tyson Fury, just seems to love having a camera and microphone in his mouth, even though he talks utter shite these days. But the thing is, he overthinks it and he cares, doesn't he, AJ? Exactly. He's very self aware. Exactly. Too self aware. Far too self aware. Far too self aware, yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, uh, look, you mentioned Dillian White. That's obviously, you think that's his ne- likely his next be, fight. No, I mean, looking at it from a managerial, promotional point of view, nothing else makes sense. Yeah, fair enough. Usyk, I mean, he said he won't, he's not going to fight unless it's against Tyson Fury. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Tyson Fury. That again, that's the only fight that makes sense. Exactly. You know, so there's a clear path for both guys here. Yeah. There's certainly no other path for Usyk or Tyson Fury. Yeah. You know, retirement is absurd at this stage in his career, let's face it. For either man, I mean, yeah. why on earth would you retire when your stock's highest and you're in your physical prime? It makes no sense. Yeah. You know, it's just absolute from, you know, from both Usyk and Fury, you know, it's just words. Yeah, <laughs> As yeah. we've discussed before, you know, with this stuff, you know, what's, what's Usyk saying that for? Yeah. If Fury yeah, gets 500 mil. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, we mentioned this, we, we didn't talk about the sports washing, but I remember when we were watching it and they had that advert come up just oh before they God. did the walkout. So just was... what we wanted to know, just before the main event, they did an advert for Saudi, didn't they? Yeah. As a state. You, were, and... you weren't happy, mate. Oh, I was fuming. <laughs> Right, so they come up before we're all getting hyped for the main event, and then they cut to this. It was part of the whole big, big screen show, yeah. And it was just like a, it wasn't even a tourist board advert. Yeah. It was like a corporate advert for Saudi Arabia as a state, and and it came up. The first thing that seemed to flash up on the screen was something about economic growth. Yes, but yes, what on yeah, earth? Right. We're trying to hype ourselves for a fight here. <laughs> You're talking economic growth and high yield investments. I might and, have got and a bit pro- of a- property portfolios. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what on earth is going on here? It was so ill suited. It was yeah. awful. Yeah. It was horrible. It was a sign of well, it was just sort of corporate sports, corporate it was the poster child for sports washing. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel if if we're talking about this fight in the way we are, Joe, and we're talking about the sports washing aspect of yeah. the event. We shouldn't really let him get away with it, should we? And so I've decided <laughs> that with Saudi Arabia, yeah. every time we're talking about an event that we deem sports washing, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. do something like this, Joe, right? On the same day, or maybe the day before, in fact, as the Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk fight, yeah. a Saudi student named Shalma Al Shabib. Yeah. Who is actually a, at Leeds University yeah. was jailed for 34 years for having a Twitter account and for following and retweeting dissidents and activists. Yeah. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has targeted Twitter users in his campaign of repression while simultaneously funding sporting franchises and events and holding stakes in foreign, including US, social media companies. Yeah, I think it's important to just say that. No, I but got... saying all of this, and I've I, you know I've been on my high horse a little bit about Saudi. Yeah, I am aware that you know 
Britain and we in the West in general also essentially, and, you know, yes. we, we glamorise our, our colonial past, our crimes, our yeah. misdemeanours through culture and film and all of this sort of thing. We do it, but they're just specifically yeah. doing it through the sport we love and, and but, we don't like it. But but there, here's a, there's a big problem with these fights taking place in Saudi Arabia and I'll make the analogy with football like when you know when Roman Abramovich that kind of era with the big money you mm. know what's going to happen now is that any big fight is <laughs> likely to take place in the Middle East whether it's Saudi Arabia or wherever and boxers are going to demand some of them you see it with Tyson Fury going to demand these absolutely outrageous purses mm. The average fan is going to get priced out of going to these events, right? You saw the atmosphere at the fight. Was They're shit. not interested, I want to hear Sweet Caroline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did, John. in Saudi Arabia. Mate, we did it in Sweet Yeah, you did. Really? Yeah, we heard it and it was the saddest thing because Sweet Caroline played out and no one sang along whatsoever. Oh, gosh, it was so awful, remember? What I meant was I want to see it played and the fucking crowd going absolutely exactly. mental. Instead of it being played and we, we're all on a downer because of it. The atmosphere was terrible. It was it was awful. I think that that Zhang Hergovic fight in the co-main event was absolutely outstanding. Yeah. And the action deserved a proper crowd getting yeah. into it. And they were entirely uninterested in the fight. Yeah. And it actually made as a, a, a visual spectacle, it made yeah. it work worse. It was like watching the fights during lockdown. Yeah. It was rubbish. It was. Actually, that's a good point. So, yeah, my point is that, you know, everything in life is beholden tomorrow. It's why the world is in the, in the state it's in. Mm. But, you you know, with boxing, you're going to have these events now, I think, which are, you know, in places like Saudi Arabia, not a great atmosphere. Boxers getting paid. The top, I mean, and I'm not going to begrudge a boxer getting paid well. I mean, I, have not, I don't really have an issue with that. My issue is that the average fan gets priced out going to the events. Pay-per-view might just become way too expensive. Yeah, I actually you know, do have and- a I do have a a problem actually with boxers being paid well at the expense of the fans and the sport. Yeah. I do and and well is the wrong word actually. I have a problem with it boxers being paid obscene money. Yeah. at the expense of the sport yeah. and the fans. Yeah. There is no way we should be paying 26.95 yeah. for a pay-per-view in the middle of a unprecedented yeah. cost of living price- crisis. Yeah. There is no way that Tyson Fury should be demanding 500 million, million to get out of bed for this fight <laughs> when we're in the middle of an unprecedented cost of living crisis. Yeah. It is not justified and it is so out of kilter with the rest of society yeah. and we've all done it. We're the ones that have paid and funded for mm. them to get to this level. Exactly. We're the ones that, through our taxes and lottery money, paid for AJ and Tyson Fury to go through the system mm. and to be trained properly, both at their gyms and uh, um, England and then Britain level. Yeah. Like, we're the ones who have paid for their pay-per-views and the Sky subscriptions, the DAZN subscriptions, f- for them to get to this point. We're the ones that have paid for the advertising revenue essentially on Channel 5, which Tyson Fury was fighting off of early on in his career. We've paid for all of this. All of this money that goes to them fighters comes from us at the end of the day. When they talk about Premier League TV rights and the clubs just getting what they command, the market value, 
Who pays for it? We do, Byron, to pay for BT yeah. and for Sky. They're not loss leaders. Yeah. They're making money off of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And we're paying extortionate amounts yeah. for all of it. So I ain't really having it mm. that they, you know, I don't begrudge them this and that. I actually do when it comes <laughs> to being an unreasonable burden on us. Yeah. You know, I really do. I don't think it's fair. I don't think that they have a, a right to just go. I mean, they did it over the Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury negotiations. Eddie Owen said, well, they both demand. 100 million for the fight and that's the and that's what we need to pay for the fight yeah. as though it was just well that's what they want and so obviously that's what they get and we've it's got to be paid for mm. and obviously it's going to be coming out of your pay-per-view yeah. money when they say on DAZN we all pay our subscription to DAZN and they're saying well if you want to see a British level fight like <laughs> like Conor Ben against uh, against Chris Eubank Jr yeah. well only way to get it done is to pay your money for your for your design subscription and pay for the pay-per-view. Yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is a fight I'm looking forward to and I'm going to pay it. And as yeah. I've said, I'm going to pay it basically gladly because yeah. I'm a fucking boxing nerd yeah. and I go back time and time again for it. But it ain't right. Yeah. I yeah. don't think at the moment when we can't even afford our bloody gas bill that yeah. we should be expected to do all of this. No, very well said, Joel. Couldn't put it better myself. That's a very good point. You touched on the Hergovic Zhang fight, actually. Um, we'll, we'll briefly go over that one because that was a great fight. That was a proper, uh, highly skilled heavyweight ding dong. That was yeah, that was brilliant. Everything you want between a pair of heavyweight contenders. Yeah, and and Zhang, I mean, Zhang was unlucky because I think after three rounds, I had him dominating, and he knocked um, Hergovic down in the second, I think, as well. And I remember when I put the bet on in play, I could have took about another bet I've lost. <laughs> I put £20 on um, Zhang on, uh, in play. I think it was after the second or third round and it, and he was on at evens and I was just thinking, that think- can't be right. He's he's knocked him down. He's landing the cleaner shots. Hergovic just looked, looked like he'd stepped up a level and he got found wanting. Mm. He did claw his way back into it. I, get, I mean, you know, it's hard for a... Zhang is a 38-year-old, I, I believe. You know, yeah. his, his tank sort of ran out, but I, I still had him edging it. Oh, and I'm it was still a close had fight. Zhang won that fight. Yeah, he won the fight. He won that fight. You know, and, so. and you know how high I am on Hergovic. Exactly, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. I, think he's, I think that Hergovic is going to go on and dominate the heavyweight division in a few years' time. I think there's no one better placed anyway. But Zhang was outstanding. It yeah. was like his whole career, again, we talked about it before the fight started how his whole career had been building for this yeah and he looked in sensational shape yes he did if you yeah. didn't know Zhang you might not realise that he was in sensational shape yes exactly yeah. but he was he, he was, dropped yeah. a lot of fat for that fight yeah, yeah he clearly trained extremely hard yeah and caught that right hand just didn't miss yeah Hergovic and he had Hergovic in trouble on several Repeatedly, occasions in yeah. that fight so yeah, really strange decision, and yeah, so yet again, I'm on the end of a really poor decision I, that affects. So Jack Catterall was another one. <laughs> Zang now. Well, I just don't know why I bet on I'm, boxing. It's just pointless. <laughs> I pulled out of that just in time, there, didn't I? Because I was about <laughs> just about to put a sizable chunk on that fight when all of a sudden Hergovic started landing a couple of punches. Yeah, I went one set. 
Yeah. I'm going to maybe Zhang's just blowed himself out here. Yeah. And so yeah. I thought I'd leave it around. And then it became clear that Hergovic was really coming back in. So I thought I can't, you know, Hergovic is the, is the favoured fighter who the promoters want to win here. So I'm, I'm definitely not risking my money on this. Yeah. And so I, 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 I pulled out. But congratulations to those two in particular. Oh, I thought you would congratulate Zhang. me for, <laughs> no, for pulling my money out of that fight. <laughs> no chance, mate. Uh, Those are the uh, reviews. So let's go straight on to the news now. So there's quite a few fights that have been announced. So I'm going to try and reel through these as quickly as possible. Deontay Wilder returns against Robert Hellenius. This is a fight that's taking place on October the 15th. Caleb Plant will also fight Anthony Durrell in on the undercard of that. And briefly, Joel, who do you think will win uh, between Wilder and Hellenius? I think Deontay Wilder will win in a wild up and down affair. It's a tough fight to take. It's a stupid fight to take. He could lose, basically. World I think he could very definitely lose here. This would be one where the odds on Hellenius could be quite good if you're a betting man, because I think he's going to be a rank outsider. It'll like, be I think worth it'll be a, like five, six to one. Yeah, it'll be, like that. it'll be worth a small stake. Yeah. Uh, Leeward, my man Leeward, who I had a bit of Twitter back and forth with recently, against Maurizio Lara on the 24th of September for Woods World title on the undercard. Maxi Hughes against Kid Galahad. Now, Leeward, if you're listening, I'll, and I will tweet you this, you were, I think you were slightly annoyed at me because I sent a tweet out. <laughs> you don't know the full story. <laughs> no, <yet>. I don't. <laughs> so I sent a tweet out saying, who do you think wins in a rematch between Leeward and Michael Conlon? Yes. And then I thought, and then I said... My money's on Conlon because I think with the right adjustments, he probably wins that fight. And anyway, Leeward retweeted the poll. And then then he sent a tweet out about 10 minutes later saying, it it was this analogy thing. He was saying, if someone in in, in Formula One is is, uh, winning a race for like 79 of the 80 laps, and then at the very end gets overtaken by such and such who who wins the race how can you say that the person who was winning the race for like the entirety of the you know of the of the race is the better racer which was a blatant <laughs> so i messed so i sent him a tweet back saying something along the lines of i'm sure that one was aimed immediately and it was like a you know smiley face whatever and then, and then he responded and he said oh um you know, it's fine, but I'm trying to change the narrative of, you know, how people perceive that fight. And then he made a comment, which was very, very interesting. He said, look, I wasn't, I was never going to outbox Michael Conlon. So, you know, it had to, you know, essentially what he was saying was it had to be a dogfight. It had to come back the way I did. So that was fair enough. So anyway, that aside, Joel, who do you think will win? We better not say that Lee Wood's going to lose this. (laughs) (laughs) Lee Wood, Maurizio, Lara, what do you reckon? I have no idea because this is just going to be an all-out war. This is a... a outstanding style matchup yeah. really looking forward to the fight I have no pick I love both fighters Yeah, they're two guys just on really good runs exactly and, and when they when you get two fighters on good runs who are both bangers and throw a lot of punches it's it's impossible for this not to be an exceptionally good fight exactly so that that's my prediction for the fight that it's going to be a damn good fight I have to go Leeward after that Twitter. Yeah, we got it. I was thinking that. <laughs> well, what's I going to say here? Yeah. Right, Devin Haney against George Kimbozas Jr. They're 
boring rematch will be taking place in well, uh, December. I mean, that's going to be another clinic. Yeah, at least they're getting it out of the way quickly. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. Know, I think that's a good thing. Uh, Naya Anue against Paul Butler for the undisputed bantamweight championship has been agreed for December in Japan. Will this be the lowest profile undisputed fight involving a British fighter ever? Could could well be. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he's got no chance, though. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> no, he hasn't, but who does against uh, it's in the ring? I think this fight is really just to make a new way for his legacy undisputed. And then yes, he'll probably and then he'll be up. jumping up. Exactly. Yeah. Daniel Dubois settled his lawsuit with Don King and has allegedly been paid in full. Don King, you're a, you're such a stain on boxing, mate. Just like retire into the wilderness. Go away. We've had enough of you. The boxing we'll just, world doesn't like you. We'll just wait until after we do our, our little special on you anyway. <laughs> And uh, David Lemieux has announced his retirement from boxing. We wish him well. Any comments from you, John? He had a bloody big punch, did he? He did. I he mean, really he, did. He could. He probably has a bit of a highlight reel. Mm. A bit like Callum Smith. <laughs> he had a lot of big punches at the weekend, actually. Yes. Callum Smith, right? I'm not sure I've ever seen a fighter jump up in weight and immediately I'm going, how on earth are they making weight? He probably would, would do that even at heavyweight. You'd oh, probably yeah. look at him and go, how the hell's he making heavyweight? I He's so he, tall and I, stocky. I bet he fights at least a fight at Cruiser one day. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, he, I mean, he'll carry the weight easily. Yeah, he's he's, he's amazing. Massive. Yeah, he's, he's uh, just a, a physical marvel. Well, just briefly on Callum Smith, I mean, his performance against uh, Matthew Bordelig, and I know he has, he's got highlight real knockouts, but it does make you think. What happened in the Canelo fight? I mean, he lost his just, confidence. He didn't man. turn up, did he? Uh, he? The event was maybe a little bit too much for him, or maybe really did struggle to make that weight at the end there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this size, I mean, it was down a super middle, wasn't it? Yeah. We thought that the physical advantages at the time were with Smith. Yeah. But actually, maybe they were weirdly with Canelo. With Canelo, yeah, Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on. So we're going to do the Kinahan of the week, that which brings shame on the sport of boxing. Now... I'm going to, I want to roll with this because we spoke a little bit about uh, mental health and, you know, particularly with AJ. And we should also mention that, you know, Adrian Broner recently obviously pulled out of his fight against Omar Figueroa, citing mental health reasons. Mm. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing in life generally at the moment, but, you know, particularly in sport and, and it's starting to become a big thing in boxing. Now, the, so the Kinahan of the week is, is Tyson Fury. Uh, and you know I'm a big Tyson Fury fan I've been a massive advocate of his over the years in spite of all the shit he's said I mean he's he's said some horrendous stuff about you know gays this that and the other I mean he, you know ha- so many things that he said that certain people or certain factions in society just would not forgive it but you know I understand that he comes from a certain type you know a certain type of family where maybe they sort of thinking in that religious the religious aspect of their thinking it's not the same as someone like me for instance I you know I just don't think like that Mm. but I just don't think you know bearing in mind his mental health struggles which you know and he and he really did publicize them heavily I just don't think given his mental health struggles you can do what he did after AJ's breakdown 
and, you know, post a video essentially mocking him and lamenting, you know, sort of saying, he's just not good enough. Ah, mm. It's just not on. No, it's not on. But he's, he's done it before, hasn't he? Because I remember after AJ lost against Andy Ruiz, he did this whole thing immediately after the fight about how AJ is a winner in life and, you know, he would never kick a man when he's down, all of this. And then the next day he was just, you know, on social media mocking AJ for that. Yeah. However, we say all of this, and I do agree, it's, I agree with your pick as Kinahan of the week here. However, is this not Tyson Fury's mental condition talking here? No, I mean... It's just so up and down. I I think you're right, and I'd actually tweeted about that because I said, you know, at the minute, whenever you put a mic in his face or a camera in front of him, he's just saying just just crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And he is a, you know, it's contradicting himself left, right, and centre. I, I agree with you. I wonder whether he's maybe showing signs of mental ill health at the minute. Which you know, clearly is, yeah. But again, I, you know, I just think for someone who rightly made a big thing about his mental health struggles, and he has inspired millions of people, and his story is tremendous to come back from where he was. I just, I, it, it, I, at the minute, I'm finding him very irritating. And he's he's just a walking contradiction at the minute, and I I just can't I can't deal with him. I've gone from someone who was a massive Tyson Fury fan. I just find him very irritating at the minute. It, if Usyk took on Fury tomorrow, I'd want Usyk to win that fight. I and you, I would never have said that mm. at all. I'm a massive Tyson Fury fan. If Tyson Fury fought AJ tomorrow, I'd probably want AJ to win that fight again. I wouldn't probably wanted Tyson Fury to win. Someone in his family has got to just get him to sort himself out. No, oh, yeah, because he'll listen to him, will he, Joe? Well, so, I mean, <laughs> well, you know, like we were saying, maybe someone from AJ's team or the production, you know, should have just cut the mic or taken it off him. Yeah, look, you know. This is what Fury's always been like, and he ain't going to change now. And yeah, Hypocrisy's he does the word. <laughs> Just a little bit late. Little I think that was about your sentence was about three <laughs> minutes ago, John. <laughs> um, yeah, look, this is Tyson Fury. This is what he does. He's he's a he's a big old mouth and he can be a little bit nasty with it sometimes, can't he? Yeah. yeah. So that was quite a serious connection of the week there, Joe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I mean, bring I'm gonna bring the mood up slightly here. Go on in. I'm gonna give a runner up prize to Keith Furman. Oh yeah, yeah, go on. Now, go this for was it. this was actually a couple of weeks ago, but we haven't done a pod for a week. And so it's for Keith Furman yeah. as the runner-up prize because he stayed silent the whole time that Conor <laughs> Ben was calling him out for a fight. And then a couple of hours before the Ben Eubank fight was announced, all of a sudden, Keith Furman piped up with one of his really weird quotes. And he said, I had to Google what Ben's face looked like, so I kind of have an image now. <laughs> and what? So you looked at the bloke's face on Google, a picture of it, and you still can't actually quite see him, but fa- fair enough, Keith. Um, he's a London boy, European fighter. It seems like he has a decent boxing background coming from a fighting family. I don't know enough about the kid. You see that I was inactive. I really wanted to have a fight this summer. That's why I'm getting my weight ready, because we're going to have something before this year is over. But anybody that says my name, you know what you've really got to do. If you talk hard enough, I might have to talk back because I can only let people do so much. I might have done three days of silence, but it doesn't mean I'm out here trying to be silent. 
I'm all about good fights, all about contracts. He pers- <laughs> just as ridiculous. Just it's a diatribe of nonsense. Just it doesn't. None of it really makes any no. sense. If Ben's management has a contract and a legitimate payday, any time they say Thurman won't fight this young fighter, I'll fight all the young fighters. I'll fight them all. The only thing is, I love great fights. I love good contracts. So if the money is on the table, the date is good and we can make it happen, I've never fought overseas. It might entice me. I love doing something new. I just called one young blood. I don't mind. I'm not a gatekeeper. I'm a real one. I have capacity to go toe-to-toe with these undefeated <laughs> champions. Right. Now, is that and it? so he said that that was his... <laughs> that <God>. was his. <laughs> Ben, it was a really loud, nonsensical quote. But he was basically saying, right, I'm ready to fight this kid. He obviously fully knew that the Eubank-Ben fight had just been made. So it's one of the classic, yeah, I'll fight him, I want to fight him, sort of things when they know full well that there is no fight that's going to be made, that can be made. And you know what it reminded me of, Joe? Who? Have you seen that clip on the internet <laughs> where it's got that them two dogs barking at each other behind that gate? No. And so there's this clip on the internet, Joe. Oh, right. Where the two these dogs two barking. dogs are barking at each other, <laughs> going at it. And it's it's like one of them uh, you know, gates for a garage or whatever. Yeah. And then the gate opens and they, they move along with the gate as it opens, so they're still they don't have to be exposed to each other. Oh, but then the right. gate goes into the wall and they're just stood facing each other and they both just turn away and walk back. <laughs> Good analogy, Dale. That, well that done. That is Keith Furman right there. Yeah. So um, let's, we were going to, I mean, we'd normally do previews now, but there's, we, there, I mean, there are some fights taking place, but there's, you know, nothing that we're particularly interested in. I'm just going to come out and say it. Pedraza Comi was the only one I had a slight interest in. I'm just going to say, I think Pedraza would probably win that fight, but who knows? Moving on. Um, oh, actually, I want to go back quickly. Joe, I have to. Since you were talking about Conor Ben, you know that he got a beard transplant? Yeah, I do know, yeah. I did. I only just realised this a yeah, few days a ago. Yeah, years ago. I can't believe it. I could not <laughs> believe it. The photos are hilarious. I could not believe it. Well, you know one of them shocking stories? So one of them we had, you know, years back. Who gets when a fucking beard transplant? All of a sudden, oh I opened up my Sunday newspaper to only to see... Frank Maloney, now Kelly Maloney. Yeah. And that just, I just was lost for words. I couldn't (laughs) believe that this had happened, that this was like a story I was reading, looking at actual photos of this. And this was the same when one day I opened my newspaper and I saw Conor Conor Ben Ben with a fake beard sewn in. It was remarkable. And he went through the whole, I don't know, have you actually seen the article about it? The original one back at the time because it showed him actually in surgery getting the whole stuff done. I just know that you get all these like seem like red pricks on your like dots. It's weird, oh, it's so weird. It's weird. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, sorry, Connor Ben. Yeah, I did know about that. Too. If I if I if you were my mate, Connor Ben, then you'd hear this about this every day <laughs> of your life. <laughs> Probably best we don't get acquainted. All right, magazine lottery time. So Joel, you pulled out the Jeff. Lacey, Joe Calzaghe, what are those called? Fight program. Fight program, that's it. Yeah, it was the sort of thing I'd never buy these days, but back 
in 2006. I was perfectly willing to spend £10 on a terrible magazine about a fight. Yeah, and you can tell us, our adoring audience, because you went to the fight and you were ringside, more I or less. I did go to the fight and I was more or less ringside. I didn't buy ringside tickets. I was sat back in the gods, but luckily I went with quite an attractive girl that night who was dressed up nicely and they came up to us before the main event and said would you like to come and sit ringside for the main event so it was all her <laughs> it was definitely all her <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I cannot take credit for that so Joe Kazagi Jeff Lacey was actually one of the major nights in British boxing massive it is a fight that sort of aged badly because it totally finished Jeff Lacey. Yeah. However, we forget quite what a night and an event this was. And it shows how the boxing landscape has changed yeah. in just a few years. This was in 2006, yeah. Saturday, 4th of March. So the fight started at 2am in Manchester for the Showtime American audience. Right. And that was happening quite often at the time. Yeah. The, these big fights, including Costa Zoo, Ricky Hatton, I think, was another one. That was oh, really? 2 a.m. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 a lot of these back in that part of the sort of early 2000s were taking place on UK soil, but essentially for American audiences. Mm. And it was rubbish. Yeah. Because a big memory I've got from that fight is How trying to get... Yeah, <laughs> trying to just get a cab home from oh. the MEN along with 20,000 of them. Were you staying in Manchester? Yeah, so I had yeah. a mate at the time who... Well, I had a few couple of mates at the time who were uh, going uni in Manchester. Yeah. And so I was staying with him. And, it, yeah, it, it was just an absolute nightmare trying to get something. I had exactly the same experience at the Hatton Costa fight. But going back to the fight, this was one of the great performances by a British fighter in a British ring. Yeah. It was absolute peak Kawasaki. And Jeff Lacey was, was the favourite for that fight as well, wasn't Jeff he? Jeff Lacey was the favourite. And at the time, I remember trying to find a boxing commentator, pundit, anyone who was picking Joe Kawasaki. And no one was. Did you think Kalzaghi was going to win that fight? I did think Joe Kalzaghi would win the fight, but I was a massive, massive Joe Kalzaghi fan. Um, me too, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, back then, at that age, I was constantly picking winners based on who I wanted to win a fight. So I can't say that this was any particular insight of mine. Yeah. But I did think that Jeff Lacey was a little bit overrated. You could see, actually, in the build-up to that fight, that there were signs that he wasn't quite what he was being promoted as. Because Jeff Lacey at the time, was thought of as a mini, mini Mike Tyson. Tyson yeah. That was constantly the phrase about him, wasn't it? And he was taking care of fighters, good fighters like Robin Reed. Mm. But Robin Reed was past it. He was past it. And that's the thing. When you actually look, yeah. look at that record, he was fighting a lot of fighters that were past it. Robin Reed, uh, Scott Pemberton. Yeah. He was another one that he blasted out early. But again, he was past it and wasn't exactly a superstar, you know, in his None prime. None of these are Joe Calzaghe. Omar Shaykar took yeah. him a serious 12 rounds, a hard 12 rounds. And that's the one where you can look at, and I think his name was Ruben Williams, was another guy at the time who took him a really hard nine rounds before succumbing to yeah. his pressure. But he did take licks. And so when you look back and you think about a fighter with the sort of speed and accuracy that Joe Calzaghe had, it isn't mm. a surprise, obviously, looking back what happened. But at the time, this was huge. And the only media figure I could find who was picking Joe Calzaghe was a guy called Greg Leon. Okay. He was the editor and owner of a 
website at the time called Boxing Talk. Yeah. I think it's still going, okay. but I don't think it's a major website anymore for boxing news. But back then it was one of the big sites. Mm. And I got to know of it through fighters entering a ring with a boxingtalk.com t-shirt. Okay. And I think including I've got an image in my head of Jeff Lacey being one of those fighters, but the build-up was strong. And in the build-up and in the program, Jeff Lacey stated that this is the start for him. <laughs> Just to be, it was the beginning of something. Well, it was the beginning the of the end, exactly. <laughs> you say, and actually, when you look at it, it was the start of Joe Calzaghe's elite run in the sport, wasn't yeah, it? The money making. He run, went I think. on yeah. to fight Kesler, to fight Bernard Hopkins, to fight Roy Jones, Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. And you know, the 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 future was his. Mm. And I actually, again, I'm showing off here a little bit, but I saw Jeff Lacey just a year after this on the undercard of Floyd Mayweather against Ricky Hatton at the MGM in Las Vegas. Oh, right. And I was really looking forward to that. He was fighting Peter Manfredo. So that was two yeah. name fighters and we got there early for the fight and we were we were bedding in. And Jeff Lacey was already, it was like he was just an old man. He was fighting through treacle. Yeah. And that's what that fight did did to him it completely ruined his belief and confidence yeah and you just saw joe calzaghe from there just lift off and he just gained all the confidence in the world so what a crossroads fight for these mm. two and what an absolutely terrible program <laughs> it is it looks like it's been designed by quite frankly a school kid yeah uh there's an amazing advert in here for a <laughs> An, a radio piece to stick in your ear for the fight at a cost of just five pounds, like where you could you could listen to commentary for the fight through your spearmint rhino earpiece. Yeah, I was about to say, I saw that. I bet yeah. you were there. <laughs> Actually, it probably worked no, you if you missed it. Mate. <laughs> I've been there on a few stag dudes. Let's just say that. Well, I've got a stag do this weekend, actually. Um, yeah, I remember right. watching that fight and just thinking, I mean, I, I thought it was a 50-50 fight. I was a massive Calzaghe fan, but I mm. think I'd bought into the hype about how Lacey was this, you know, wrecking ball. Yeah. I, but, but there was, you know, for me, it was, I guess it really just built the anticipation up. So I thought, come on, Calzaghe, like you showed them how good you are. But I was also a little bit nervous. Just yeah. was nervous because it was a massive fight. Oh, and it did. It was it's huge. Like, you was... don't want him to get like, you don't want everyone to be right because everyone, like you say, everyone's say, saying that he's just going to lose yeah. and he might get knocked out or, or stopped or whatever. And Calzaghe just was not that fighter for me. I was like, no, nah, he's too good. He's yeah. too classy. Yeah, and he was. He is an, a brilliant, brilliant elite level boxer. I can't. So I was in my head, I was just thinking, this can't happen. This is Joe Calzaghe. And it didn't. And he you were absolutely right. battered Jeff from Lacey the first from the second first of second. that fight. I remember that was after, a after the first round, the whole crowd getting up on their feet and doing that easy, easy, easy. <laughs> the whole crowd, it was clear what was going to happen. Yeah. It was incredible. And that's also the night that I really did. I was already in love with the sport, but I really fell for it that night. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. saw the effect it had on other people, including my then missus, yeah. who was this sort of very sweet, pretty girl who, you know, was a really kind type. You she, knew her. She became a she was really nice. animal yeah, she that did. night. I remember her getting <laughs> off on her feet, just going, fucking knock him out! <laughs> 
they're like whoa this is what this sport does yeah you yeah. know it just gets you doesn't it, it gets anyone yeah. if they're there you cannot there's nothing like being it live ringside for a fight for yeah. that cauldron type atmosphere if you like sport you like going to the football yeah. and you haven't experienced a big fight live you yeah. gotta do it I think that was um, Joe Calzaghe's best performance as a fighter it given was. the stage the you know the magnitude of it to put on a clinic like that it is my <sighs> it is my favourite one-sided fight in yeah. the history of boxing yeah it's amazing actually that Jeff Lace that, I mean the one thing <sighs> You kind of have to give him credit for going the 12, but actually it was it, it ruined his career. Mm. And, you know, his team should have pulled him out. But how he managed to go the distance, I'll never know, because it was horrific <laughs> to watch. It was a, an absolute beating of the highest calibre and it was it was it actually at the end it was horrible to watch. I, as much as I enjoyed watching it, I was thinking someone's got to put this guy at, someone's got to stop the fight. It, you can't let someone take punishment like this well it could have been stopped as early as the 5th I remember in that one and I remember Gary Shaw Jeff Lacey's promoter in the 12th round with about 10 seconds of the fight left getting up on his feet and started calling for the fight to be called off and I thought you bastard yeah you've just sat watching your fighter take a horrific beating needless beating yeah seven rounds of it was needless the fight was over so early it was it wasn't a contest and then right at the end, that was your first piece of sort of virtue signalling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? With something like that, it's go, what are you doing? Yeah. Right, you've, you've kept your mouth shut the whole time. And now you look, and he looked like a big baby as yeah. well with the way he did it. And I thought, that yeah. was a bad fool, man. That always stuck in my head. I could see it from the other side of the ring. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. What are you doing over there? Sit down, yeah. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a, that's a great one to pull out of the, uh, the bag, Joel. Um, right, you better pass me the stash. Oh, here we go. Okay. I've pulled out uh, an edition of Boxing Monthly. Oh, it makes a change. February 2011. And on the front cover, we've got ah, three of um, Britain's finest at the time. David Hay, Carl Froch, and I've forgotten his name now. Several. Olympic gold medal. James DeGale. James DeGale. That's yeah, it. wicked. Um, oh, he was a fighter, wasn't he? Yeah, lovely to watch lovely fighter to watch yeah interestingly the uh, headline on the magazine is British firepower at UK boxing has never been stronger of those three Carl Froch definitely my favourite fighter yeah 100% but they all made had sort of massive success big pro- high profile fights didn't although they? we did talk about David Hay who actually called, is, did he really have a good career <laughs> Made a lot of money. Who, who did he beat? <laughs> <laughs> you weak piece of shit. No. <laughs> Terrible oh, job. Gosh. Terrible. Oh, Adrian Broner's on here as Such well. Such a troll, gosh. man. Such a troll. Adrian Broner's on here. That as was when he was America's very good. Likely. What's it got? Edwin, when... Edwin Rodriguez as well. What happened to him? Let's have a look. Who did he fight? He had a big fight. I don't know, but he I'm obviously not didn't make it. Now. No, he didn't. La Bomba. Who else they got in there? Oh, La Bomba. Oh, he's no, he's been around until quite recently. Edwin Rod- Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. La Bomba. That rings a bell. Who else we got in this there? This might be the one I have to do, mate, because this <laughs> this is probably going to be the, this is good. So they're prospecting the ten who they think are. Go on, quickly run for it. Run for it quickly. Right, so here we go. We've got 
Edwin Rodriguez, Adrian Broner, Marcus Johnson, Jorge Diaz, Mike Jones, Rico Ramos, <laughs> Sean Porter, so he's Danny the one Garcia, they made Mikey a big. Garcia, Gary Russell Jr. Well, there we go. They saved the best till last there, didn't they? Yeah. Them last four were the ones that made it big. Yeah. All right, cool. So next week I shall um, uh, go through something in here that I've found quite interesting. Probably we'll going to be that now. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, give you the career breakdown of Edwin Rodriguez. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, on that note, Joe, I think we are done. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in again. And we shall see you next week. Joel, any last words? As always, it was a blast. I love you all. Cool. Let's go.